All right, my dear friends, we are continuing our study of the book of James. So I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet as a sign of honor to the word of God. And I'm reading James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. Come on. Are you guys ready for some scripture this morning? This passage is not messing around. Don't, you, don't we all kind of wish that James would, be, would say, what's causing all the fights and quarrels? Everybody else is wrong and you're right. Wouldn't that, <laughs> didn't you ever wish that? No, just me? No, okay, just me. I just love the scriptures because um, the scriptures keep us honest. And when we're, if we're honest about it, when we go into conflict, when we're having tension, generally it's our position that if the other person would just see things the way you see it, right, everything would be better. I remember being in sixth grade and my class was acting up and I was a sixth grader and even then, I remember watching the teacher, she was stressed and frustrated, thinking if the class was more like me, we would all be a lot better. Oh, wait, and then I had this crazy epiphany. If the world was more like me, we would just be a lot better off. Oh, and, you know, my first taste of narcissism, it was delicious. <laughs> oh, but, you know, in all seriousness, uh, there's a little bit of this in all of us. And that's what James is talking about, Okay. So last week, Mark uh, illustrated very beautifully these two paths in life that we have to choose. And the Bible lays it out. There's the, the path of God's wisdom, the wisdom from above, and there is the path of the world. And he made it really clear that, ah, you know, that path from the world, it's just so attractive. It feels so easy. It feels practical. It feels like it will just quickly and immediately give us what we feel we need the most. The path of God's wisdom sometimes feels counterintuitive. Sometimes it feels like we're being asked to be hyper-spiritual, to throw practicality out the window, and it feels 
harder to really recognize and engage with with all our heart. And James is going to help us really distinguish between these two as we go into chapter four. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself in a moment in your life where you realize you, somehow, you don't know how, but you've gotten down a path that may not be taking you closer to God? It started off good. It started off making you really happy, giving you what you felt like you wanted, but somewhere along the way, a creeping feeling started to get in there that you were not looking at the situation God's way. Have you ever had that happen to you? Okay, let me give you an example from my life to help you find yours. I was, um, we were at the very end of running this house, and you know, I was a tenant, and we have a landlord, so mercy on all landlords out there, it's, it's hard, but here we are, and we felt like, we felt we were being taken advantage of. Our, despite all our efforts and everything we had done, our landlord was still going to withhold over 50% of our deposit. And we were just at this point moving, feeling like every dollar counts. Literally, if I would buy like a you know, $2 thing of Gatorade at the liquor store, my wife would be like, what did you spend $2 on? What was that on? What did you buy? So this felt huge, 50%. And I was, I don't know where it happened, but I started to get angry, bitter, and I started even having like revenge fantasies. And I had talked to a friend who's a lawyer, and was looking for a way to take my landlord to a small claims court, convinced they were just wronging me. Yeah, maybe they were. But I wasn't going to let them steal my 500 bucks. And it felt like everything was on the line. It didn't feel like $500. It felt like $500,000. And I had my revenge plan in mind. Can you relate to this kind of stuff? I didn't want to be taken advantage of. I wasn't going to let anyone push us around or take one cent of our money. And then I'm at a retreat. And as I'm praying, I'm praying, God, will you help us? Will you get us through this? And then I don't know what happened, but I was reading my Bible and I didn't intend to find this verse, but I'm reading the scriptures and this is what I read, Romans 12, 19. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. Okay, this is that moment where you're like, oh, wait a minute. Is that what I'm doing? Am I trying to get vengeance for myself? God, am I trusting you? And right there I was like locked horns with God. Can you relate to that at all? A moment where you're convinced you're on the right path and then something from the scriptures, something from God hits you and you're like, maybe I need to think about this differently. That's what James is going to help us do. He's going to help us see those places in our life where Without realizing it, we've started to become friends with the world. Let me explain. In verse 4, James says this, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Whoa, that is a powerful verse, and we need to unpack it. Because this idea of friendship with the world is the way that James describes what it looks like for us when we are moving down the path of the world's wisdom and finding ourselves increasingly distanced from God's wisdom from above. And he calls it friendship with the world. So I want to unpack that with us today, okay? What does James mean when he says friendship with the world? And what do we do when we find ourselves going that way? How do we get back on the path with God? Okay, so let's start with this. What does James mean by friendship with the world? And I want to start with a question. Does it mean 
that as Christians, we should not have friendships with people who are not yet believers. Is that what James is talking about? Is James talking about we should in every way possible separate ourselves from the world physically, relationally, so that we don't get contaminated with their unbelief? Is that what James is talking about? Now, you talk to some non-Christians, and they might say, well, it seems like, it sure seems like it. But then we go to Scripture, and we know what Scripture shows us, right? What did Jesus model? You look at Jesus' life, and here's Jesus who modeled friendship with people who are far from God, right? Do you guys remember that moment when that, he was at a party, right? He was at a party with like really holy religious people. I mean, these guys were so holy. They didn't even carry the Bible with them. Well, not that you could, but they didn't have to because they had it all memorized. Like, deal with that. Next level. Next level. He's at a party with these guys, and this woman who has a reputation comes and falls at his feet and starts kissing his feet and washing his feet with her hair. And everyone's like, what is he doing? Does he know who she is? Jesus was friends with prostitutes. He was friends with Roman soldiers. He was friends with tax collectors. And his friendship with people who are far from God, it scandalized him. So we know James is not talking about that. So what's he talking about? All right, so he's going to spell it out for us. What does he mean by friendship with the world? Here you go. You ready? Verse 1. Look at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. Okay. Do you see in this passage, what is friendship with the world based on this verse right here? How would you describe what it means to become friends with the world? Notice the repetition of a key word twice, the word desire. Do you see that? Do you see how he's talking about desire? It's the word hedone. Hedone is the word we get our idea of hedonism from, right? That, that ethical theory that the purpose of life is to fulfill our pleasures, that the ultimate fulfillment in life is satisfying every pleasure that we have. That is hedonism. So he's talking about right here what? What is friendship with the world? Well, he starts first by talking about the ways that we try to fulfill our desires. What we do with our desires. Our desire for pleasure. Our desire for what? Happiness. Security. Meaning. Even our desire for identity. He's talking about what we do with those things. Now watch what he goes on and he says. Pay attention. Um, Verse 2, he says, You covet but you cannot get what you want. So you, you quarrel and you fight. Nobody can relate to that, right? Nobody here can relate to the, uh, you know, wanting something, not getting it and fighting, right? That's only for children. What I love about this is even children can, can you relate to this? Yes, we, yeah, anybody can relate who has a brother, a sister, who has a spouse can relate to the idea of wanting something and fighting over getting it. Come on now, getting our way, getting our restaurant choice, Getting that toy? Come on. You with me? Yeah. So he's talking about this really fundamental dynamic that everyone here can kind of relate to. Not getting what we want, and so fighting and quarreling because we're not getting it. James is going, yeah, that thing, that that little thing that feels so innocent, oh, everybody does that. Listen to what he says right here. You do not have because you do not ask God. 
When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get, you can get on your pleasures. So what's James doing right here? How would you describe friendship with the world, what it means based on this verse? What would you say? Right? I want to give you just like 10 seconds, 15 seconds, turn to a friend or a neighbor and say, hey, what does friendship with the world look like based on this? Go ahead and share real quick. I want to see what we come up with. Give you a chance to talk it out. Take your best shot. Don't worry. If you're way off, there's no letter grades here. We need to understand this because friendship with the world has the power to create enmity and separation between us and God. So James wants, as a, as a pastor, as a skilled pastor, a master surgeon, he wants to break it down and he wants to cut in there and identify and help us recognize the tumor for what it is. So what is this friendship with the world? What is it based on these verses? Anyone want to raise up a hand and throw out an idea? Anyone want to throw up a hand? Yeah, you're right here. Yeah, okay, that's really insightful. She said, thinking of yourself before others. So think about this. When we have a desire, what do we do with it? We think of ourselves before we think of another. We make ourselves the primary point of reference for what we should do with our desires. What I want, what I think becomes number one. No, that's perfect. So let me break it down even further. It is the way in which we seek to fulfill our desires without God. Okay, now watch. Verse 3. You do not ask God. At minimum, it is trying to fulfill our desires without God because why? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I can't see God. God might not really give me what I want. God might not care about what I want. God might not see me. God's invisible, so uh, what does he know anyways? And so what do we do? We start to do it without God. And what does that look like? It looks like right there, thinking of ourselves above others and not thinking about them as well. That is one example. He's going to go on. I want to read this quote to you. Listen to this author. really breaks it down what it looks like to go the way of the world in trying to fulfill our desires. He's, uh, Jonathan Grant um, puts it this way. Modern authenticity, the desire to be real, to be true to ourselves, right? To really just be authentic, encourages us to create our own beliefs in morality. The only rule, get this, the only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are. That's the rule. You got to feel it for it to be true. If you don't feel it, eh, it's not for you. The worst thing we can do, this is very powerful, the worst thing we can do is to conform to some moral code that is imposed on us from outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else, God. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. The authentic self believes that personal meaning must be found within ourselves or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. 
Do you see what this is saying? Listen. In the world's wisdom, the greatest heresy you can commit is to find your identity to fulfill your desire by some code that comes from outside of you, to define your deepest truth by anything other than yourself. Yet Christians believe that we fulfill the deepest desires of our life, that we define our deepest desires by finding that truth from outside of ourselves, from a God who is infinitely more loving than we could ever be. But you got to understand, to the world, this is heresy. But there's something attractive about this. Why? Because the world is saying, look, the world is saying you are the center of your world. You're the center. And you should define what will really fulfill your desires by what makes you feel good. And that is all you need. And to a degree, that kind of makes sense, right? It makes sense in a world where authority figures have used their authority to abuse and take advantage of people. The church has used its authority in history to take advantage of people, to use this truth that's from God to manipulate people for its own selfish purposes. We've seen that in history. We've seen governments do that. We've seen politicians. We've even seen parents do that. We've seen those who we should be able to trust the most use it against us and betray us. And so what do we do? In today's culture, what do we do? We decide, you know what? Well, there's nowhere safe out there, so I'm going to be, I am going to be the one who defines what is true for myself. And we cut ourselves off out of fear of being manipulated by people who might hurt us. We cut ourselves off from God. We even cut ourselves off from the one who has given us these desires to begin with. And James is calling this out. Yeah, maybe it's an out of fear, but he's calling it for what it is. He's calling it arrogance and an unfaithfulness to God. And, and I think this is what we can all relate to. This is why I just love the Bible, because there's a certain compassion with the Scripture. It's not condemning and saying, oh, you know what, you guys, those guys out there. It's saying, can't we all relate to fearing, putting that trust in God and then it might just result in being manipulated by another person. And we just define truth by ourselves. Come on, haven't you ever been a child with a parent who says you can't stay out later? And you're like, oh, my parents just want to ruin my life. They just want to ruin it and take all my fun away. And we start to do that with God. James 4, 6 quotes this pride and he calls it, we get, uh, quotes Proverbs 3, 34. And he says, God opposes the proud this idea that we need to be the center of our world, that we need to be the ones that define it. The wisdom of the world is pride. And we get there because we're afraid of being taken advantage of. We're afraid and we want security. We want control. Here's the thing. It feels good. It feels good to be our own self-referencing point. Listen to this. It feels empowering. It feels like control. And it feels like who else better knows what we want than ourself? Here, who here cannot relate to that? I mean, seriously, can't you relate to that? Can we really trust an invisible God to tell us and define for us what our deepest, truest desires really are? Now, this is what James is calling friendship with the world, where the world comes up cozy with us and starts saying, hey, 
Don't listen to God's word. Don't listen to the spirit of God. Don't worry about the church. You just do what feels right for you. And it feels like a friend advocating for our best. And James is saying, but that friend is going to take you farther and farther away from God. That's what it felt like that day at my retreat. I was on a retreat, and I was praying for God to give me strength and to give us favor with this landlord situation. And it just felt like, man, God, get even for us. Give me victory in court over this landlord. And I felt like there's no way I'm going to let someone walk all over us. And then all of a sudden I read this Romans passage, and for a moment, listen to this, for a moment it felt like maybe God is against me. Maybe he is not out for my best. Maybe trusting God is not really for my best. Is God asking me to be a pushover? Is God telling me just to let people walk all over? God, are you telling me to just let people take advantage of me? You see these moments? You ever have those thoughts? James calls this enmity with God. Look at this. Verse 4. Let me read it to you guys. Verse 4. It's so powerful. I want to read it to you guys. He goes, look, he goes, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And then he says this, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Becoming a friend of the world means we become the center of our own life. We begin to define what our deepest desire is by what feels right to us. And we begin to define how to fulfill that desire by what feels the most natural, comfortable, and practical to us. And look at the scripture like, ah, 2,000 years old, is this really God? Ah, if I really do that, God, aren't I becoming a pushover? And it starts to create enmity with God. You see that? Okay. The second thing that James does is he's like, okay, look at this. When you are giving into this wisdom of the world, it begins to show itself for what it is. And he begins to lay out all the evidence and the fruit of that wisdom. He's like, you're going to have things like quarreling, fighting. You're going to have things like in verses 11 to 12, blaming, talking bad about other people. You're going to have anger fantasies about other people. Anyone here ever have a good anger fantasy? Come on now, good anger fantasy. I sometimes have anger fantasies about my kids. Oh, when they get home, I am going to make sure they know that they were wrong. I'm going to really give them a consequence. You know, we get these anger fantasies and we feel justified in them. And yet Jesus is calling us to something greater. If the way, if the wisdom of the world is pride, the wisdom of God is humility. Check this out. How do we get back onto the path with God? What do we do when we realize, man, I am getting away from God's wisdom. I'm getting down this path, and if I'm honest, I'm beginning to see I'm becoming more uptight, more anxious, more irritable. I'm becoming more judgmental. James talks about that here. I'm talking more and more badly about other people. It's creating conflict in my marriage, in my family, with my friends. It's creating conflict with myself, and it's now beginning to create conflict with me and God. How do we get back onto that path with God? What do we do? Listen to this. Verse 6, he says this, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Come on now. 
And then again, in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And what? And he will lift you up. Come on. He brackets these next, this next part, all this practical, what do we do? He brackets it in verse 6 and verse 10 with this call to humility. The wisdom of the world is pride. And I want to warn us, when you listen to the music that we listen to, when you watch the movies, oftentimes in the movie, the hero that we want to cheer for, he's taking vengeance into his own hands. He's not acting in a spirit of humility. He's acting in a spirit of pride like I can overcome the world. And it's just so attractive. It's just like, man, God, I just wish. I know, God, you, you love me, but you know what? I could use a bad guy right now. You know, and so you look at Jesus and like, yeah, Jesus is like healing everybody, loving on everybody. Sometimes we just want a good Darth Vader to come in and, you know, pull out his red lightsaber and chop someone down for us. All right, you with me? It's like, man, God, I just want to pray that you take my landlord and like break their car down or something like that. Break their car down, sort of have anger fantasies. Maybe I'll just walk by and key that car. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. I just, yeah. You've never thought that. I know, you guys, I know I'm, I'm contaminating your, your pure ears. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm sorry, I know. That's when I started realizing I was gotten down a path that wasn't from God. You start having those kind of fantasies. <laughs> but here's this invitation to something so different. You guys, it's so different. It's so not something you and I would ever think of. It just has to be from above. Something otherworldly. Listen, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is at the center of our faith? It's this image of God's humiliation and defeat. Don't you think Everybody for sure was convinced that Jesus was defeated. And it's in that moment where Jesus humbled himself that he became a conduit of the greatest power to ever strike the earth. More powerful than any electrical storm, more powerful than the atom bomb, was the power of God that has brought the the grace of salvation to the entire world. Think about this. That God's most powerful moment was released through an act of radical humility. What does that say to you about the solutions to the tensions and the conflicts in your life? Humility is not allowing ourselves to be defeated. Humility is allowing God to be the one to lift us up. Because when God is lifting us up, no one can stop us. When you humble yourself, you are allowing the power of God to energize your life. You're not giving up on your life. You're allowing God to raise it up in his power and his strength. Come on, that's humility. Who could use some of that today? Anybody here use a little bit of humility? Come on. Don't you just love the Bible? Like, 
You know, you just think it's going to be this superhero like Thor with his big hammer, like boom, and just put the smack down. You know, like a roundhouse to Satan's face. You know, that's what we all want to see. But Jesus does it in this way that's just so not like us. He's like, I'm going to lay my life down. And I'm going to beat you with my love and humility. That's just awesome. That is the wisdom of God. All right, so what do we do? How do we, how do we, here's a question, ready for it, here it is. What does it look like for us to get humble and to humble ourselves? Number one, here we go. Get ready, take notes now, if you weren't earlier, because you don't want this. Number one, verse seven, submit yourself to God. When we choose to submit our desires to God's truth and spirit, we are choosing to draw near to God. This means we are submitting and trusting what the scriptures teach us about our desire for money, how to handle conflict, and the healthy expression of our sexual desires. It's trusting him. It's submitting our desires to God. Any desire in your life that is not submitted to God, no matter how noble that desire is, if it's not submitted to God, listen to this, you are vulnerable to being deceived and manipulated by the devil. Straight up. This is the way that he manipulates people. He does it by your God-given desires for greatness, for security, for um, recognition. These are God-instilled traits. Did not God call you his son and daughter? Has he not promised to sit you with him in honor and glory in his kingdom? He has created you for glory and for honor and for greatness. And yet the evil one takes advantage of that desire and he uses it and he manipulates us where it's not submitted to him. And he deceives us. He fools us. Listen to this quote. Listen to this. The devil can't make us do anything as followers of Jesus. Thank God. We have to choose it. To get us to choose evil, our enemy has to fool us. He has to what? No, okay. He has to what? Come on, I know. I know it's cheesy. Just say it with me. He has to what? Come on. Now, you've got to say it because you know what? A lot of us think we are unfoolable. We think we are foolproof. I could never be fooled. No one could ever trick me, right? No one could ever pull the wool over my eyes. And that is the pride that makes you the easiest to fool. Listen to this. Our enemy has to fool us into walking down a path other than the one Jesus laid down for us, thinking it will lead us to happiness. Unsubmitted desires make us more vulnerable to temptation and being made fools of. That's the irony. I didn't want my landlord to make a fool of me and just take my money. So I was committed. I'm going to fight this person. I'm going to take him to court. I read that verse. I got on my knees like, oh, gosh, God, I really want Darth Vader, but God, that's not you. I'm just going to humble myself and say, God. And then this, there was this per- verse right here. Look at this verse right here. Romans 12:19. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. So right there. I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to repay. You will repay me. I don't need to do it myself. Right there. Right there. That's a, it's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith with your spouse. It's 
a leap of faith with your children. It's a leap of faith with your neighbor to say, I am not going to be the one to avenge myself. God will repay. He'll repay. Listen. Verse 3, come near to God and he will come near to you. So submit, resist, come near. Don't just resist temptation in the strength of your own willpower. Get close to God and let him strengthen you. How do you get close to God? How do you get close to God? Here we go. Number one. How do you get close to God? Ask God. Verse two, you do not have because you do not ask God. Are there desires in your life that you are not asking God about? You're just worrying about it. You're fighting with other people for it. You're doing your best to get it, but you are not really asking God. So I asked God. I said, God, would you please help me just repent of my bitterness, my resentment, and my anger fantasies, and help me Give me the money that I need. So I let go. They took our 500 bucks, and I was fine with it. I just felt a peace. They took the 500 bucks. I let them have it. God's going to repay me. We moved out of that house. We moved into another rental. We had been trying to buy a house, could not afford anything to buy in the area. So we were just like, all right, God, we just trust you. That month, a person came to us and said, hey, we want to give you 100, no, what was it? Hold on. 1,000 times that amount to help you buy a house. Not anyone we'd ever asked. Not somebody we'd ever talked to about it. It was just God's moving on our heart to do it. I was worried about 500 bucks. And here a guy was like, I'm going to give you 1,000 times that. I got your back. Sometimes we see these moments in this life Sometimes we don't. We won't see it until we're with him in his kingdom. Can you trust God to get your back? Listen to this. Ask God. Trust the scriptures. What is the core lie that temptation is asking you to believe? Confront that lie with God's promise and truth. I have to take care of myself. If I don't defend myself, this guy's going to walk all over me. God's like, no one's going to walk all over you. I got your back. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about your future? Do you believe that about your finances, that God has your back? Ask him, trust his word, and lastly, I want to get the band out here because we're done. Listen to this. Friends, be honest and vulnerable with another believer about your temptation. Where you're being tempted to fulfill your desire apart from God's will. Where you're just like, gosh, it's so easy. It's so tempting. Where you just want to just act on it. Look at what James says in chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Come on now. Be honest. I know none of you guys ever have anger fantasies. That's just me. But I want to be honest with you so that maybe some of you who are as much of a sinner as me can kind of get honest with yourself. But I want to ask you a real question. Is there a desire in your life that you know is not fully submitted to God? God is not the enemy of our desires. He is the giver and the maker of every desire that you have. And he has created desires to be like a homing beacon that draws back to him to teach us that he is the giver of all good gifts. They are meant to train us to experience his goodness, and his generous heart. Is there a desire in your life that if you're really honest, 
is not submitted to him. It's not producing good fruit the way you're doing it. And God is saying, bring it back to me. Let's pray. Lord, just give us this moment to allow you to search our hearts. We just open our hearts to you, God. We give you permission to speak into every part of our life, our identity, our finances, our sexuality, our past, our present, our future, our relationships. Search us, oh Lord, are there any desires in us that you want to talk to us about? Where the enemy is using it to pull us away from you. He's he's, he's using it to get us whipped up, anxious, fearful, agitated, self-righteous, worried in God. You just want to free us. You want to bring us back to yourself. I think one of the most important things that we can do as a community is be a safe place for us to be honest with each other about those desires in our life that we're not really confident that God has a right to speak into. There may be desires in our life that we're not convinced that the scriptures really have anything to say to. I did for 20 years college ministry, and I'll tell you, the area of sexuality was a major area for a lot of college students. Does the Bible really have anything to say about that? Or is it just too old and no longer of any value? If we can't even be honest about those things without fear of being judged or, you know, uh, looked down upon, then we can't, then we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to the enemy who will use those desires that are not submitted to God to fool us and deceive us. So I want to talk to parents for a second. Parents, create an environment where you and your kids can have honest conversation, where they can just talk about those things in their life that are do you really think that the Bible has something to say about this? And where do you struggle with believing that? And we need to be honest with ourselves, Because God does not want to hold out on you. God wants to fulfill your true desires beyond your wildest dreams. And that's, that's just the truth. God is not holding out. He is never going to hold out on you, ever. I want to invite the prayer team to come on up as we close. I want the prayer teams up here to pray. If anybody has a desire, they're like, you know, I'm not sure about this. I think I'm struggling in this area of my life. And you need prayer just for discernment, for wisdom, for power, for strength, to be able to submit that desire to God, his truth, and his spirit. Come up here, let us pray for you, or tell, talk to somebody today. Yeah, there's this area of my life. I don't know if I really, if this is submitted to God. Be honest and let God into that area. Listen to this as we go to this promise. When you submit every desire to your life, when you submit a desire to him, this is his promise to you. Psalm, uh, Psalm 16 says this. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lord, send us out here today with a renewed conviction. 
you are not the one who holds out on us. But we settle for second or third best because God, we take things into our own hands and stop trusting you. But God, you want to renew that trust and confidence that you are our Father, the giver of every good gift. And may that confidence be renewed in us today. In Jesus' name. Bless you all. Have a good week. See you next week, guys.